and we are live from the empire of lies on a oasis of free speech and intellectual diversity in the vast dangerous wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, joined on Truth Tuesday by Jason Goodman as our guest co-host on Backstory. And Jason will be with us in a couple minutes. Hey, Rod, how you doing? I'm doing well, Leah, by yourself. I'm doing okay. So, great show today for us. First hour, we have Jamal Thomas, the co-host of Fault Lines, right here on Radio Spendnik. And do you know where in the world Jamal is? I, South America? No, he's in L.A. The summit is in L.A. What summit? The, the summit of Americas. Okay, forgive me. It's in, L.A. it's in L.A. I was confused by something. So he's sort of in a foreign country because he's in Los Angeles. And we'll talk to him about what's like out in L.A. right now. And in the second hour, we're joined by Philly's own Tom Nichols, a great friend of the show, great writer. And we'll be talking to Tom about a variety of issues. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. That's the number for your friends at The Backstory. Well, so Rod, what's, uh, what's going on in the news as your take? What do you think the big story is right now? Oh, the big story. Well, I don't know what the big story is, um, but I would say that I'm just following the Biden administration. They're just trying to do damage control, whether it's inflation, whether it's crime, whether it's uh, foreign, domestic, foreign or domestic issues. They're just all failing, failing grades. And you can see Biden himself with his failing mind, even noticing it. And I liked the other day, I didn't talk about this, but I like the K-pop group. Did you notice in the White House? I forget who it was. It's not my favorite K-pop group. I like Blackpink. BTS, right? Is that what it was B- called? BTS. BTS. I don't. I don't particularly like the K-pop boy bands because whatever. I'm not judging. Just, just not my thing. But did you like BTS in the White House? No, Lee. I think it's just as stupid as the uh, influencer, the guy with the nails and all that, where they were trying to get people vaccinated a few months ago. If you remember that, the uh, the gay man wearing the heels and the nails. I mean, what, what what use does this have? Why are why is a Korean K-pop band that you know? I guess they were a kid band. Now they're all grown men. What are they showing up there to do? I'm sure Biden had no idea too. That was the other factor of it. I was trying to picture what Joe Biden has in common with BTS. Does that make sense? BTS fans are not Biden fans. And Biden, I'm sure, was confused. He thought they were waiters or something. I'm sure that was a a great conversation. But joining us now from Crowdsource of Truth, Jason Goodman, our guest host today. How you doing, Jason? I'm well, Lee. How are you? I'm okay. So, Jason, what's on your mind? 
Well, I was just listening to you guys talk about BTS. We were talking about a couple of things before the show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty go, neutral go on K-pop. It can be fun, but I mean, just setting aside this particular band, this particular genre, the notion that an entertainment, you know, a musical act is coming to the White House when there are so many pressing crises, it just shows that Joe Biden, forget about not having his eye on the ball. He's not even in the ball field. He's like at some other game, no idea what's going on. This is so tone deaf and such a waste of time and resources, it's difficult to overstate. But it was funny. Right. So, I'm, I've been in that room, the White House press briefing room, the James Brady White House press briefing room, mm -hmm. and to see BTS up on that small, it's not even a stage, it's a platform. Right. The place where the podium is. Mm -hmm. It's maybe 15, 30 feet across, and it's about a, it's a small step up, and it's kind of flimsy. Mm -hmm. Having been there, it's kind of flimsy. You do feel like it. I thought it might break, having five people on it, like that. But they had seven. They had eight, but including it, uh, the press secretary. <laughs> yes, and she does seem like she's in it over her head. Yeah. And that's not a tough job. Mm. But a lot of times she doesn't seem fully prepared to explain the shifting Biden policy on things. No, she's not. Do you agree? I do agree. She's very rarely prepared. And additionally, you know, when she first got the job and came out and said, I'm the first black gay woman to have this job, I my response is, who cares? That has nothing to do with the White House. That has nothing to do with the problems that we're in. We can see that you're black. Biologists among us know that you're a woman, and nobody cares what you're doing in your personal sex life. Get to the important information. Well, you know, there's that moment when Obama was elected. You remember that? When Obama was elected, and many people cried or hugged each other because it was historic. Yes. And I think this is a similar thing. I've been wanting a black lesbian press secretary ever since I saw prison porn. <laughs> I hear you. So this is a moment <laughs> where many of us got together and cried. Right. Because it reminded me of a fantasy I had watching Pam Greer. Right. Behind bars. Yeah, shower scenes and whatnot. I get it. Right. I think we need <laughs> I think they need you to install a shower behind the podium. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. But, I mean, jokes aside, Lee, it's, it's a sad state. I mean, you know, Joe Biden, at this point, it's almost as if he's believing his own press secretary's propaganda because, you know, we've got Russia and Putin warning against putting more weapons into Ukraine, clearly stating that this weaponry was, is not going to change the outcome of the war. It's just going to result in a prolonged conflict, more death and destruction in Ukraine, and they're escalating it now with medium and long-range weapons coming from the United States and the United Kingdom. And Putin is telling them, if you do this, we're going to be forced to respond. We have no choice. And then they'll blame Putin when there is a response. But this is an existential threat to Russia, and they have a right to defend themselves. Well, in case this press secretary, a new show opens up on MSNBC, yeah. and she's forced to leave right. in a hurry. I predict 
our next thing will be the first Ukrainian trans woman press secretary. Right. Can you see it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, and the first trans woman press secretary will raise, and this could, but but I, I think since the Biden administration wants to discuss trans issues, okay, I'm game. Here's one trans issue I hardly ever hear discussed. Most trans women don't convince me. Right. Now, am I alone in this? Well, and I'm going to say this. So I know someone who is a trans woman, mm-hmm. and I have no problem with with it or anything like that. I'm just saying that that's who they are. Right. And they don't make a big deal of it politically. And I was talking to them on the phone, and I had them on speakerphone. And my girlfriend, Danny, overheard the conversation. And when the conversation ended, she didn't know at all who it was. She said, is that a trans woman? Wow. She could tell from the voice. Right. The voice is often a giveaway. Would you agree? Well, let's, I, let's be honest. Well, you know, I actually have a pretty long explanation of my position on this. Not long, but it's detailed. So... I remember the first time I ever was aware of trans, I was in like the dentist's office or the doctor's office, the eye doctor or something, pretty young, like 10 years old. So it was like 1980 something. And there was a tennis player named Renee Richards. And this was like Sports Illustrated or something. It was there at the dentist's office. And they were talking about how Renee Richards was the first Mm -hmm. person to win something or other, first as a man and then as a woman. And as a 10 year old kid, I didn't know what to make of all that but when i saw the picture of this renee richards woman even as a 10 year old boy i was like well that that does not look like a woman to me that's unusual and i think what's happening now so flash forward many many years later in my 30s or 40s i saw some reality show about this kid um i'm forgetting the person's name now star or something it's like a 12 year old i forget the kid's name jazz that's the kid's name and the, the story was about, you know, the kid was like 10 or 12 at the time, and the family had decided to give him these, give her these hormones and puberty blockers or whatever. Now this jazz person is an adult, and I think it is a big difference if a prepubescent human is given female hormones, even if they are biologically male, it can result in a very visually convincing person that you might not be so easily able to tell. But what Danny's observation takes me to, Lee, is a term that I know you're familiar with, the uncanny valley, which is a term that emerges from robotics and even computer animation where you and I first met. And it basically, a a Japanese roboticist had determined that when you have a robot like R2-D2 with blinking lights and it just basically looks like a garbage can on wheels... People think that's cute and cool and interesting, even C-3PO, whatever. But when you make a, try to make a hyper-realistic rubber version of Lee Stranahan out of silicon and glass eyes and the mouth moves and the cheeks smile and there's teeth in there and everything, people get freaked out by this because they're always going to detect the subtle differences. You know, there's no oil, there's no pores in the skin, the individual hairs, the frequency of blinking, the subtle details that we pick up as humans are so vast that when anything shifts, like you said, 
Danny could detect there's something about that voice that doesn't quite sound like a man, doesn't quite sound like a woman. You pick up on these small, subtle things, and I think that's what she was responding to. Well, it's, it's it sounds like a man trying to sound like a woman. Right. And that's inherently difficult. Right. Men have trouble sounding like women. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're parodying them. Right. And so I've noticed that. Now, the quick political question is, if you notice, is it wrong to say something? Because we live in an age where I don't even know what counts as transphobia. Right. I know the term phobia, someone's talking about this, and and I will I will call out Russia on something. Russia falls for this. They use the term transphobia. For, forgive me. They use the term Russophobia. Right. Right? Yep. It's a pho- phobia term. And all these go back to Islamophobia, mm-hmm. homophobia. Right. They all come to it's, it's what it literally means is fear. Right. So if you say Islamophobia, often if people are concerned about Islamic terrorism, they're called Islamophobic. Right. But I don't know that that's exactly right. If you is someone crime phobic? Right. You can be against they're worried something about without crime. fearing it. Yes. And I find very few people are afraid exactly of trans people. Right. Well, Wikipedia and, says that phobia is an anxiety disorder defined by a persistent and excessive fear of an object or situation, and that phobias typically result in a rapid onset of fear and are usually present for more than six months. They recommend antidepressants, benzodiazepines, and beta blockers. So maybe that's what everybody who doesn't and like this Russia was, This is what I was saying. I, I think Russia should not use that term. Yeah. When they talk about Russophobia in Ukraine, that that's not Russophobia. That is hatred. Right. And I think calling it phobia, I see what they're doing, but they're falling into a modern, and they don't do it very often. But I don't think russophobia is exactly right. Do you, Jason? No, I don't. And again, it's a weaponization of words, Lee. You know, it, as you said, the first time I ever heard that used in that way is uh, homophobia. Right. And I think a, a better term would be I don't know what the end part would be, but anti-Russian. Right. It's uh, the equivalent of anti-Semitic. Right. If someone's anti-Semitic, they're not called Jewphobic. Well, you follow but, me? But, well, but people who want to, you know, argue about that will say, oh, well, you know, Arabs are Semites and they're not Jewish and blah, blah, blah. And they get into all the details. So it's like people love to play with these meanings of words. And I do agree. Words have meanings, and the words that we select are important. But there are certain colloquialisms, like the ones you're talking about right now, that were perhaps crafted to confuse people. And uh, I just want to get to the truth on this so we can be involved in straight dealing. That's my issue, is that all these people who are trying to fool us with language and saying one thing and doing another thing, it's very counterproductive to any kind of actual progress in getting anything done at all. Well, and because, of course, the point is, 
the definitions, it's it's one of the ways to win a rhetorical argument. I use the word win in quotes. Right. To def, to shut down discussion on a rhetorical argument is to control language. Now, something else I I want to point out. We at as the show started yesterday, there was breaking news. The Proud Boys, yeah, four or five members of Proud Boys had been indicted on sedition. Right. And I had largely ignored, I didn't talk about it yesterday, but I, I'm going to today. Mm-hmm. Peter Navarro, a former member of the Trump administration, mm-hmm. being arrested. And this is obviously all... And Carmine identified it yesterday. Here's what's happening. They're coming up later in the week. We're going to be having primetime televised hearings on January 6th. Yeah. Right? Yeah, with the Today Show producing it or something like that. Yes. And so in preparation for that, because that's coming up, they're arresting people and making a big show of it. Like you say, Peter Navarro, 72 years old. Yeah. Not a flight risk. No. He was arrested by five FBI people. In public at the airport. And in public at the airport. And I would say that's a very show trial technique. But the reason why the Proud Boys and Navarro are because it, and you know what someone reminded me of today. Mm. Remember when he was, but Donald Trump was president. Yeah. And he had the meeting in Finland with Vladimir Putin. The first yeah. international meeting with Vladimir Putin. You were there. Remember that? Yeah, you were there, Helsinki. I was there in Helsinki. That's right. Do you remember what happened the day before? Uh, I do not. What happened the day before? Robert Mueller indicted the Russians that he said were responsible for the act. So the president of the United States is about to meet with the world leader. Right. And that's the day Mueller decides to drop that indictment. Start jamming them up, right. That he had no, and they had no proof for. Right. But that is stagecraft. Right. Right? Yep. That is event planning. Exactly. And that's what's going on now. And how outraged were you? And again, I'm not, it's not about being a Peter Navarro fan or anything. You don't have to like the Proud Boys. You don't have to agree with everything they say politically. This is not agreeing with Peter Navarro politically. This is very dangerous Yeah. that multiple branches of government are apparently coordinating this stagecraft. Jason? I think it's much worse than that, Lee, because we've also heard in the past week that the FBI had a secure work facility within Perkins Coie, a private law firm. I mean, that's outrageous. If I could hire the uh, NYPD to come work over here at Crowdsource the Truth, there's a lot of people who might get their skulls cracked, but That's not the way law enforcement works in the United States of America. You're not allowed to integrate law enforcement with private enterprise. 
And I've certainly never heard of a circumstance even remotely like that, where the FBI is partnering with a private firm for 10 years. And I mean, to have a secure workspace, the FBI is dealing with all kinds. I mean, the FBI won't tell you anything, even if you're working on trying to share information with them to get a law enforced, they will not tell you what or if they're going to do anything with that information. So the notion that they would be cohabitating in the office of a private business, particularly a law firm that is engaged in, you know, allegedly plotting this whole thing on behalf of Hillary Clinton is outrageous. Now, Peter Navarro said some other things that are very important because, you know, we know that Eric Holder, when he was subpoenaed by Congress to discuss the failed Fast and Furious scheme, which was illegal in its conception, sending guns to Mexico without proper approval, and it was not even really clear what the hell they wanted to do that for. Eric Holder ignored the subpoena and even boasted that he would wear the contempt of Congress charge as a badge of honor. He was never arrested. Peter Navarro has explained that he was negotiating with the FBI and the January 6th committee because he alleges that there are legal issues about the authenticity of the authority this committee claims to have to even issue these subpoenas. And the question at hand is executive privilege. Peter Navarro was not the president of the United States. He was working for the president of the United States, and he has asserted a claim that he is bound by executive privilege to not share communications with the president of the United States as a function of his role as an advisor to the president of the United States. So he's communicating with them. He didn't you know, sneak away to uh, Mexico or something and try to escape the country. He's actively communicating with them about how to legally unwind a dispute. And he's saying, this is the president of the United States executive privilege that I am protecting. And I'm challenging this subpoena saying you don't have the right to do it. This should be a back and forth between lawyers, not taking a 72-year-old man, shackling him, throwing him in a cage for hours without water or food. It's outrageous. Yes, and as part of, and I talked about it as stagecraft, the fact that a branch of the government, a law enforcement branch was involved in that, they shouldn't be involved. It's the same at, at, at the convention, the political convention, you know when they drop balloons, Jason? Yeah. The balloons drop? Yep. Someone put them up there. That is stagecraft. The balloons were not just right. hanging out yes. overhead. Planned. This is every bit right. as planned. Right. And a branch of government should not be involved in balloon drops or arrests of people. You know, Lee, that is an excellent analogy, maybe even better than you might have realized, because remember— that photograph of the balloon drop when Hillary Clinton has that ridiculous over-the-top look of surprise on her face as if she had no idea these balloons were going to drop. I bet that's the same look she had on her face when she was composing that tweet. Oh, no, it looks like cybersecurity experts have discovered a secret Trump server at the Alpha Bank. Same kind of look on her face. Fake surprise. Yeah. Now, let's go to the calls. Two two five two one thirteen twenty. you're on the line. Um, thank y'all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free June Assange. I have two comments. Uh, first comment is the um, Ukrainian government going 
well, basically legalize marijuana, and they're gonna let people distrib- distribute them, and also they're gonna they're gonna monitor the farms they grow them. That's how they're gonna. I think they're gonna also gonna collect taxes for them too. Wow, that's another way I'm trying to calm calm people's nerves down in Ukraine. My second comment is dealing with the um. Now, Medvedev used to be president, well, prime minister back in 2008, nine, something like that, in Russia. Well, lately, his um, his telegram tweets been, you know, he's been really letting the West have it. And they, somebody asked him this, you know, basically he basically said, I am often asked why my telegram posts are so hoarse. The answer is, I hate them. They are bastards. They won't debt for us Russians and while I'm alive I would do everything to make them disappear so basically you know he he had it up he, you know he's tired of West basically he will go more and more to the east so for those things that if they, if people get if you get rid of Putin what's going to happen is because Putin is a moderate get rid of Putin you're going to have a hard line that's take over mm. it's going to be you know it might get worse for the West as time goes on. Medvedev used to be a liberal, used to be a neoliberal, but he's not neoliberal anymore. So, yeah, that's my two comments. No, Thank you for Therese, hang on before you go. I support marijuana legalization, but I mean, in the middle of a war, is that does that seem like reasonable timing to you to start having a major shift in a policy like that? It's weird, isn't it? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not against marijuana. It's good for treatment for certain type of um, ailments yeah. and pain um, on people with certain diseases. But, I mean, in war, you got to understand um, this. The, the revenue, I'm thinking they're doing it for the revenue. They need to tax those marijuana um, farms so they can have more revenue in their in the coffers because the they, they budget is 5 to $7 billion a month. So they need all the money they can get. So they're going to start allowing all bunch of type of things. Just wait and watch. Well, I guess. You but know? I mean, I don't know. If you were in Ukraine right now and the bombs are falling, are you thinking, let me go let me go plant some marijuana seeds and wait? I mean, how long does it take for weed to grow? It seems like a crazy thing to do, but good call. Thanks for that input. But anytime, man. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're desperate, bro. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything, you have to be have your wits. You you got to be on alert, and if you smoking marijuana, if a person right. smoking marijuana, they're not gonna be alert. Yeah, it you seems know like weird timing to me. <laughs> well, well, the one obvious thing is George Soros is an advocate of marijuana legalization, and he, of course, is the biggest funder of NGOs in Ukraine. Uh-huh. So I wonder if it's just a Soros-related thing. It does seem weird. And also, I wonder what implications it'll have since Ukraine is right next to Russia, because marijuana is not legal in Russia. Right. And what what effect will that have? Sounds like because illicit of, imports would happen, right? As it's considered a drug in Russia. There's right. some countries where you go to get the death penalty for having weed. And Russia's not a death penalty country, but they do take it seriously. Yeah. And I think it's a destabilization move, partially. Yeah with Russia. That sounds right. So let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have Jamal Thomas from Los Angeles on the backstory.
we're back in the backstory and in the Empire of Lies in the capital. You can find us on 105.5 FM and AM 1390 in the Washington, D.C. area. Now, Jason, we got a few minutes for for Jamal's going to be on, mm-hmm. but I want to talk about something. And I, I, did you see this story? I talked about it a little bit yesterday, but it's a big story to me. Uh-huh. One of the things people talked about is in the war with Ukraine, that information war, and that they said Ukraine's winning the information war. And I've been saying they've been repeatedly lying about it. Yeah. And for instance, when they re- reported about Buka and about uh, atrocities that they said happened in Bucha, I said there's no proof of that except the Ukrainians' word. Ukraine said, and a lot of it didn't make sense. Yeah. Actually, the show is now not streaming live on YouTube, this show. Oh. Because I have another strike against me. Oh. Because I got a strike due to supposed disinformation. Right. Where we asked for proof of the atrocities in Bucha. Mm-hmm. But one of the people who reported on that was the human rights ombudsman. Oh, right. And I pointed out she, that she was fired last week. Right. By, by the Ukrainian parliament. Did you see that story? I did. Now, most of the reporting on her being fired is very vague. Right. No confidence It doesn't exactly vote. say was Right. Right. And and says she wasn't doing the job of Ukraine. It made it sound like she was a failing patriot or something. Yeah. What was happening was she was saying things about what she called Russian rapes, where Russian soldiers had raped people in Ukraine. And she was doing it as the sole source and without any proof. Hmm. I think Parliament in Ukraine looked at that and said, these are very serious accusations. And she had no proof of them. That's no, how she no failed Ukraine. Nothing at all, just a statement. But but that didn't slow down CNN right. and the Daily Beast and other US publications about doing multiple stories. If this woman's claimed, if she said it, they accepted it. Yeah. They didn't need another source. And they quoted her right in the articles. Now she's been fired. I think they have a journalistic duty to go back and either retract those stories or put a big note on them, a warning. The sole source for the story, I'll put it like this. And I think the same with stories have... You you talked about the Alpha Bank stories yeah, yeah. that started with there's no proof. The FBI dismissed those allegations a week. If you go up to an Alpha Bank story that were published a couple of years ago, yeah, I guarantee you there's no warning sticker on them. Good point. Do you think journalists right and 
This is important because this is writing history. Uh-huh. If someone looks up, well, what happened in Alpha Bank, they should be warned that that story has largely been discredited. They Correct. should. They should. I mean, they discredit things you and I say before we even say it. So if this is proven to be wrong, you'd hope they'd do something. And I think that's another example of very dangerous journalists of malfeasance. Yeah. What say you, Jason? Uh, well, absolutely. And while you're talking, Lee, I'm even looking this up right now. And, you know, the first thing that you look up is Russia is starting to counter See, when we, this, we started this conversation on, is Ukraine winning the information war? And unfortunately, I think the difference between winning once it's all done and appearing to be winning while something's going on, it's like a boxing match where one boxer is throwing a lot of punches and you're like, oh my God, he's winning. And then the guy getting punched throws a big one and the fight ends. That's what we're looking at right now. Russia is the boxer that's standing there kind of not believing all these punches coming its way, not defending properly, and it's about to rear up and knock out the opponent throwing all these punches because Alpha Bank, I was on that story right away four years ago when it happened. I contacted Alpha Bank. They sent me an email immediately the same day. They responded. They had a person call me. They said there's been no evidence presented. We're looking into it. And they had a good explanation. And here they just spin it for a year until Russia's behind the eight ball. There was reporting today that a Russian delegate, this was on CBS News, they were asking about this rape as a, we a weapon and the Russian delegate stormed out of the room. And they're starting to report that this is false and counteract the narrative. And, and thank God for that. Yeah. Now let's go to the West Coast. California, Los Angeles, Jamal Thomas, the co-host of Fault Lines, right here in the morning on Radio Sputnik. Jamal, are you there? I am here. What's going on, man? How you doing? Welcome to the show. So first off, and this is going to sound an accusation, but it's not accusatory. What are you doing in Los Angeles? So I am covering... No, wait. He... Jamal cut out. Yeah. Oh, we're losing oh, right here Skype. Yeah, there we go. You're location. underwater on Skype. Okay. He's I, I think underwater. you're back. Yeah, go, okay. go. So go I'm ahead. covering. So why are you in LA? It's like a sketch now. <laughs> yeah. With because the, can't... the second oh, he's about to get it out, he cuts off. Wait. We lost that. Wait. Like, let's see if we can get a better connection with Jamal. Yeah. Tell me when he's back. Because every time I ask him why he's in LA, is uh, when he cuts out. You notice that, Jason? I did notice that, but because normally he's in D.C. He was doing uh, fault lines with Shane back in the day. Yes, yes, and now with Mineral Chan, uh -huh. the great Mineral Chan. Uh, and but I want to know why he's in L.A. I want to know more specifically where in L.A. is. Yeah, because you live. Did you? I know you spent a lot of time in L.A. Mm -hmm. Did you live in L.A., Jason? Yes, I did for several years. Because, you know, you remember there's that picture of me with your brother Ken testing out that 3D camera right around the time just before Avatar was coming out. You know, my previous career in 3D, that whole industry was heating up like crazy. And I was really a pioneer in that. So I moved out to LA and 21st Century 3D had a whole office going there. And I lived there for several years. But then basically 2013. And where were you located? Uh, I lived in Sherman Oaks. I lived in Hollywood. I moved around a couple of places. 
Yeah. And and the Valley would have been a good place. But I'm curious where in L.A. Jamal is, because you know. Yeah, it's huge. L.A.'s, okay, w- w- let's try them again. Yeah, here. Jamal, how you doing? Yeah. So I'm at the L.A. Convention Center. Um, okay. That's where I was anyway. Oh, that's where better. the and, Summit of Americas is being held. But they have a lot of side groups oh. that are in different locations. So I am at the Sheraton now for, let's see, Organization of American States and the side group that they are basically running. But as you can tell, this is not the greatest location in the world for sound, and it's just loud in general. Um, but there's some of Yeah, but the issue for them, basically, this has not been without controversy. Um, and this is one of those yeah. years where the United States decided that there were certain countries that it wanted to come and others that they did not. This created conflict because many countries were like, well, if you're not going to invite Venezuela, Nicaragua, and uh, what's the other one? Venezuela, Nicaragua, oh, and Cuba, then we're not coming. So Mexico's right. um, president, Obrador, basically says, yeah, I'm not coming. Now, you can imagine that this is somewhat of a big issue because, A, a it's Mexico. We have all sorts of trade and entanglements with Mexico. But he was basically making it his pleasure felt at this notion of picking who and who is not going to come. Also, it's a bit rich that the U.S. is arguing, oh, we don't want to do dealings with dictators and stuff like that. We are friends with Saudi Arabia. Right. We're friends with Gulf states. We've knocked right. over governments in South America and put in dictators. So this idea of, oh, yeah. we don't want to deal with those dictators. No, the reality of it is those countries are not <laughs> under the thumb of U.S. influence. That's the only thing. It's just right. that. It's just that. Um, I had a conversation with – I was able to bump into um, Ken Sal- uh, Salazar, the ambassador to Mexico for the U.S., I wasn't supposed to be there, but it just so happened I ended up being there. And I really pushed to get a question in with him. And I asked him, look, this this has been all sorts of controversy um, by the U.S. not allowing those states to basically join. Um, showing their displeasure, many people decided not to go, including Obrador. And can you articulate why? Meaning I wanted him to be able to explain, okay, this is Obrador's position and this is why I'm against it. Well, of course, he took this as an opportunity to basically dodge the question and basically said, we don't want to do with terrorists or, or authoritarian states, and Putin, oh. Putin sucks. It's like, okay, buddy. Wow. Fair enough. Wow. Yeah. What does Putin have to do with Mexico exactly? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It, wow. it was like, because he, he was wow. like, where are you from? I was like, I'm from, I was like, my name is Jamal Thomas, Radio Sputnik. And then you could see a light going in his in the back of his eyes. Like, it was, it was like you could feel right. it. There was something different in the room. And, but he took the question. So his credit, he took the question. And he basically hmm. just dodged it and then got out of dodge immediately after dodging the question. <laughs> um, and to be fair, the question wow. wasn't great. I should have framed that in a way that was less... That was a little bit sharper, but it was it happened on the fly. Like it happened in the moment. Like it should have been something like, look, the U.S. has all sorts of um, interactions with dictators. We don't seem to, you know, hate the Saudi Arabia, Ben Salman, and for God's sake, chop the guy with, with bone soft. So why are we creating this kind of dilemma here with this issue that is provoking a crisis among the other nations? That would have been the better question. Um, but again, like I said, it was last minute. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. No, it's well done. Then. Sounds yeah. like you did great. No, it's like a question. Yeah, been yeah well done. Well, I got a serious question. People must be surprised when you stand up and you're American, you're black, yeah. and you work right. for Sputnik. What do they say? Right. So when my um, hotel guy was like, he started speaking Russian to me. And I was like, dude, I don't speak uh-huh. Russian. She was like, you know, right. I was like, dude, most of the people are running the channel are American. It's like, it's not, you know, it's oh. not this nonsense where Putin just called you and all of a sudden, you know, you got to do X or Y. Right. And so he started right. laughing. He thought it was funny. Other people, uh, I had a good conversation with a guy from Italy who we got into the Ukraine conversation, um, even the cab drivers, where, you know, the cab driver was like, I appreciate your opinion. 
And I was like, yeah, because my opinion is right. You haven't said anything to contradict anything that I just said because everything I just said was true. Um, the gentleman from Italy was interesting because he had more of a, um, especially on the issue of economics, like the damage that's being done to the, to the economies of Europe, where what, like over, last time I checked like a month ago, it was like a third of the economies of Europe were basically going into a recession with 10% inflation. And they are getting just worse and worse and worse. And now these idiots are basically saying, you know, we're going to buy oil from um, India who is buying it from Russia just to not buy from Russia. Right, and we're going right. to pay an upcharge that's on the so oil. That we, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's such nonsense, right? Oh my God, I mean, that's a great yeah, idea. It's such nonsense. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we're going to pay an upcharge. And then Von, um, Angela um, Vonderland, she has a video where she's basically saying we must buy Russian oil because otherwise the price will go up and it will help Putin in his war-making regime. So you are basically saying wow. that you're trying to make an argument to buy oil in order to hurt Putin? Like, you're buying oil to hurt Putin, even though you're, all of their policy up to this point has basically been to not do oil, to not do coal, and even to try to... So doesn't this just gas. mean they have no idea what to do? They have no idea what to do to solve any they problems that are in front of them? They're radically in over their heads. I mean, for God's sake, they provoked wow. a war, a real, literal war that didn't have to exist. Then they turned around and said, we're going to have an economic war. Without checking to see yeah. their, their constituent governments to tolerate what they were trying to do. And so instead, wow. you can read Western media today, who sounds a lot like Sputnik now, Western media sounds a lot like Sputnik, who would say, this war with Russia has put more money into Putin's coffers. Yeah. That means <laughs> it didn't work. You are losing on the ground, and you're losing from this nonsense war. So the question really is, does Biden relent? When does Biden relent? Now, there's this conversation about escalatory measures, meaning the White House was concerned that things were going to escalate. Okay, fair enough. So then they say, okay, well, we're going to split the baby. We're going to send them these advanced weapon systems, but we're going to get Zelensky to give us a pinky swear that he wouldn't use these things in Russia. Um, Edrovic, or what is it, uh, Rushdrovic, uh, Putin's, um, Zelensky's right-hand man, comes out as like, we will hit Crimea if the target presents. That is our territory. All right, so nobody nailed down what Russian territory meant, even though the only person or only group that matters to is Russia, especially if you're concerned about escalatory measures, meaning it doesn't matter what Ukraine thinks. What matters is how Russia sees it. And if Ukraine is going to use that weapon in Crimea or, or in other territory that Russia considers it theirs, then there are going to be consequences. So you got Medvedev to come out to basically say, God forbid that they hit us with U.S. weapons because we will strike targets of you know, the brain trust, and that is not in Kiev. The command sites, right, outside of Kiev. Right, And exactly. but you see, today, we, we don't see the United States stepping back from the ledge, do we, Jamal? Nope, they just not. keep pushing. They want this war. They're pushing Russia into a corner. Well, the reality of it is, though, I don't, I think they want the war. They want to keep it bubbling because if the war ends with Russia taking the Donbass region, then, oh, my God, you embroiled your country into a conflict, economic and military, and you lost both. And the countries are basically going into recession as a result. So from Biden's standpoint, I think the United States, this isn't a literal existential war from Russia's standpoint. It just is. Same right. thing with Ukraine. Right. But from the standpoint of the West, what does it mean that they can all line up together like this, use all of the leverage they have at their disposal, and still lose? And what does it mean from the standpoint right. of Western hegemony? Is that what's in their heads? Meaning none of this stuff is going to Well, right that's now. gone. Well, that's what They've it seems to be. They've lost that already. Yeah, but that's well, I mean, right now, conflict 62 rubles being done ex experientially. That's what I'm saying. This conflict that's taking place is basically that phenomena coming into awareness in an experiential way, meaning it's not just conceptually that this notion of a um, unipolar world. 
No, no, no. This is those governments yeah, yeah. involved in the unipolar world and had this kind of hegemonic power not being able to accept that it no longer exists in the framing in which it exists. And so they're overplaying their hand out of arrogance, out of memories of what they used to be, out of hope that they could still be this kind of power. And unfortunately for them, they can't. They don't have it. Reality is asserting itself. And what that reality is, unfortunately, is hurting all of these Western nations while Russia is basically making a chilling in the money that they're getting from their nonsense policies. Jamal. Now, Jamal, you also mentioned that some of America's, and obviously they want to make America look good. And you said that it's at the LA Convention Center. Yes. And I'm well aware, I've been, been many times to the LA Convention oh, Center. Yeah. That is right in downtown yes, LA. It and it is right by Skid, Skid Row. Yes. Tent cities. There's poverty. Yeah, poverty is a tent. Like, like, I was. Um, yeah, I was going to say. How's America look? Uh, not good here. Because Skid Row was big. Don't get me wrong. The people. When I was there 10 years ago, Skid Row was big. But I heard it's bigger. Oh, man. Yeah. It is. Like, the people here, I've loved. Oh, they've been open. They've been easy to talk to. Um, but poverty? Oh, man. When I was going out last night at like 7 o'clock, I saw people basically getting ready for bed on the street. All that was, you know, yeah. place after place after place after place. It's insane. I mean, this is a democratic country. It's like a shanty town. Country. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, Democratic or in city, I mean, state. I mean, they have a supermajority in California. And these guys are supposed to be loving light. We want to help people and all. How do you end up with this level of poverty um, in a society that is basically supposed to be run by the people who are the ones who cared about the stuff? It's appalling. And it's everywhere. It's, it's intense um, to see it. When you're seeing people just living on the streets or people who are just out of their mind, just walking on the streets, seem like they're not necessarily rapture. It is very strange. It is very weird. And that notion that this is a democratic supermajority city or state, oh, they should be appalled. Uh, they should be appalled. They should be appalled. It's astonishing. And is the hotel you're at right downtown? Yeah, I'm right downtown. I'm at the LA Convention Center. I just moved to the Sheraton in order to go to the OAS um, meeting. And there's another one coming with the People's Summit tomorrow. That's going to be with Code Pink, Margaret Flowers. Um, and so I'm going to visit that one tomorrow also in order to cover that one. That's almost like a response to this summit. Um, and so yeah. now what do they do at this summit? Uh, is it, do they have trade show booths or anything? Are there people dressed as toucans or something <laughs> walking around? <laughs> what? Not that well. Are they t handing out sam samples of empanadas? No, no. <laughs> what, what's, what's actually... What actually goes on? So it seems like they're having these um, plenary sessions, these kind of groups where the meetings are taking place. So they have multiple meetings and multiple groups. Like, let me see, for example, one of them that I was trying to find and nail down in order to go to is this one I was talking about, the OAS. There's another one from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And there's another group dealing with the youth that they're bringing together. And so they're going to have their own meetings um, on the side, outside of the convention proper. Then the convention proper has all sorts of meetings and lunches. Like, for example, they have the, let's see, they have on tomorrow, they're going to have ministerial, ministerial meetings of the Summit Implementation Review Group. That's going to be chaired by um, Blinken. They're going to have the inauguration ceremony, oh, and that's going to be with the First Lady of the United States. I often say Jill Biden doesn't love her husband, otherwise she wouldn't have him up there looking like that. But nevertheless, a secondary. They're going to have um, an open precedent where they are basically kind of opening the ceremony. So I'm going to try to be at that tomorrow, definitely. Then they're going to have the groups and the dinners. 
And so they're going to have leader roundtables with civil society, private sector, and youth representatives. They're going to have another one. Oh. Uh, let's see. Wait, they're going wait, to have stop other elections. Right there. Civil society? Hang on, Jamal. Yeah. Let me ask you both this. Isn't this whole entire thing an incredibly thinly veiled exercise in developing foreign intelligence assets, and that is why they don't want those other countries there? It's possible. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, at this point where you have um, all of these people there who are basically heads of these various states, then anything can be going on in those meetings. Like, it's one thing that they may have exactly. on the outside, like external, where people who are out there right. just sit there and they'll just talk about, you know, the clouds and the color blue and how, oh, I love their eyes. Yeah. And then you get behind the scenes where they're doing the real work. Right. That's the catch, right? I mean, because otherwise, why not so. invite Nicaragua? Why not invite Cuba? Cuba right. has been doing an amazing job on the COVID thing. They put their doctors all around the world. It is none of our business how their government is organized. It's just not. And ultimately, if you're having a summit where you're trying to have a summit of the Americas, then you should invite all of those countries, even countries you don't like. Yeah, yeah because it's right. not just about America. But some diplomatic effort, right. Exactly. I mean, even if you don't have a diplomatic effort from the standpoint of America, maybe one of the other countries there actually do have a relationship with the country. Yeah, Meaning, like, it's not just for the right. U.S. It's for all of those countries to be able to coordinate and organize. And no country is better than the other in the context of them coming in together to do that. So for the U.S. to basically take the step, a step unilaterally, say, we don't want you to come. Well, that undermines the entire premise of the meeting, this notion of organization and cooperation and trying to mend fences. I mean, hell, right. that might have been the forum to mend fences with Venezuela or Cuba. Hell, you went to Maduro on your knees begging for gas after trying to kill the guy a year earlier or oil after trying to kill a guy a year earlier. Maybe that's a forum to try to, you know, smooth the ground. I guess I'm saying it shouldn't have been a unilateral act where the United States just decided it didn't want those three countries to come. Those countries are part of the that, Doesn't that... Doesn't that make it clear that diplomacy is not the goal? Look at the question that first occurs to Lee. Why are you putting it in the most poverty-stricken area where it's obvious that there's a huge problem rather than some other convention center where perhaps it's nice? Right. And you could invite every country. And like you're saying, Jamal, invite doctors and stuff. And let's forget about the fact that we're at odds uh, politically. We can share information and try to build bridges. Exactly. It's clearly not the purpose of that event. Well, that's just... That's now, you see me, aside from the homeless people in the street, uh -huh. Jamal, are you seeing many protesters? So, yeah. Are you seeing any sort of activism? Yeah, so I've had the opportunity to have a long conversation with um, two people. One, the gentleman was from, actually, I, don't, I think he's American, but he was having this conversation basically about Joe Biden's immigration policy. And his point was basically, look, Democrats are are horrible on this issue where they basically hang it out almost as a dangling thing saying, vote for us or else, you know, and where Republicans basically use it to, as an attack piece. His point was both are using it for politics. Neither are doing anything about it. And he wanted, I think it was some kind of act called, I need to relook look at the video again, but he was basically saying there was a part of law that needed to be updated that meant that if a person had been in the country for a very long time, there was no issues that integrate into the country that they would just be allowed as citizens. And he said that would affect like 7 million people. And the point that I made to him, I was like, well, would that also create an incentive for people to come into the country? Exactly. Would, meaning, wouldn't you basically get people to come to the country um, yes. and stay? Now, he didn't have a clear answer for that one. And I pointed out like Joe Biden, I was like, when Joe Biden came into office and Joe Biden was like, we'll take kids, but we're not going to take those adults. And the incentive you created was people just bringing their kids to the border in order for, I mean, and leaving them in the country. That's basically what was taking place. I said, so why would this be any different if you're basically opening the border in such a way where you're incentivizing people to come saying they're going to get um, states? 
Well, he, like I said, didn't have a clear answer for that. He said, he basically said COVID changed things. And I was like, I don't know how COVID changed things because they're still quibbling over Title 42 now because their concern is that a large number of people are going to basically hit the border immediately. So, you know, on some stuff, I think I agree with them. On some stuff, I didn't. Our immigration system is horrendous. So there's that. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like, um, now, Jamal, two o'clock. You, you didn't ask me. Yeah, I am, by the way. You didn't ask me where you should eat. That again? But you should have. You didn't ask me where you should eat, but you should have, because I, I know my restaurants. Uh -huh. And there's not really any great restaurants downtown, but what I would try, because it's near downtown, go to Koreatown. I know it's a different continent. No. But go to Koreatown. So I was there. LA's Koreatown. I think I was there yesterday, right? Because I was getting a sauna. I was getting a sauna visit, and I was thinking about getting a um spotted just before all of this stuff started. So, you know, they got the Korean massages yes. and stuff like that. And I was advised, get a Korean massage, get a Korean massage, having a little <laughs> old Korean woman rub you down naked and, you know, break your body. Uh, uh, we're still well, on the radio. Well, radio. Well, I was going to not advise that, but I was going to advise the Korean food in Koreatown. There's some of the best Korean food in Is the it? world. Any, Is, any specific yes. place that you got in mind? Ver uh, uh, Boonjuk Jeep. It's a, it's a very Korean food is very meat oriented, uh -huh. and it's a it's great. Jeep Jeep is one of the words in it. That's the one you remember. Okay. But Jason, do you have any questions for Jamal in the last minute? Uh, you know, we, we covered a lot of ground. I just, it's, it's interesting that you went to the, uh, event. Have, how have people been reacting? I mean, Kamala Harris really is taking a lot of heat in the news. Well, I, ha well, I haven't she seen her yet. I mean, like, yeah. yeah, she's been taking a lot of heat in the news. She's always like, she's oh, the visible woman. Um, yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I don't know. They're supposed to be heading up some of the ceremonies. And so when I get the opportunity to go there, because it doesn't technically start until tomorrow. I mean, there's events and stuff that are uh, going around, but ultimately the main press event is taking place. Um, tomorrow and on like Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So that's when they're going to have the luncheons. That's when they're going to have the ceremonies, the plenary meetings and everything else. So I'll have more information after that to see how they basically engage. Well, Jamal Thomas, great report. Thanks so much for joining us. You can hear Jamal on Fault Lines with Thomas and Chan in the morning. And we'll come back after a short break on The Backstory. and live from the Empire of Lies. It's time for the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan. We're joined by journalist, citizen journalist, Jason Goodman from CrowdSource of Truth on The Backstory. As usual, great report. Once we got the Wi-Fi working, yeah. first connection from Jamal Thomas. And I always wanted to talk to Jamal. And that, I, I do find it interesting. This does seem like the kind of event that there's no reason to have it downtown. No. Do you know what I'm saying? And why in LA? I mean, why not put it in Texas if everybody's coming from South America? <laughs> no. And there's lots of cities 
Yeah, in big Texas, giant. You could right, exactly. Well, I guess they don't want people to see the border. But, but coming up to this hour, Tom Nichols, and we'll be talking about some of the stuff that's going on in Philly with him. Oh, wow. Jason, mm. I was wondering, do you remember the name of this radio show? This is the backstory. And by the way, any people in the radio audience who are concerned that I seem to forget the name of the show a lot, <laughs> I'm acting. Yes. That's acting. Master Thespian. People enjoy, you notice, but by the way, you and Carmine have gotten very good at doing a very gravitasi, the backstory. <laughs> Acting. <laughs> so, so speaking of the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, is it obvious to you that Russia has essentially won this thing? Well, and it's just a matter of the U.S. trying to keep it going by any means necessary. Yeah. Jason, not to quote that previous show, but you know, I, it's I, I was thinking about this while we were talking to. Jamal. And, you know, I've never spoken to him before. He has fantastic energy. I loved how excited he was to be there and the insights he was sharing with us. Yeah, and Jamal, I did. He, he, he's a very affable person. Yes, he Great is. energy. He is. As he I is. say, we appreciate having him on the show. And see, so I didn't know you hadn't met. Yeah, yeah. But, but the thing I was thinking about is, like, you see, it is an existential threat to Russia, which is why they've had such a serious and strategic, no-nonsense response. See, that's the difference. It's, uh, it's almost like that scene in Indiana Jones or whatever, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where that guy is doing all this amazing sword play and the, Indiana Jones just takes out the gun and shoots him and continues what he's doing. The United States has got all these smoke and tricks and mirrors and you know fake news and the information war. And Russia is just plowing through to achieve the objective because they need to do this. And because Russia is relying on the truth and what's right and authentic facts, that is why they've created an economy based on a commodity. So money for something that people need, that's real, versus the United States economy through the petrodollar, which is being revealed to be a Ponzi, a Ponzi scheme and a bully's trick. And I think... Lee, I'm becoming concerned that this may, in fact, become an existential threat to the United States, but not because of what Russia is doing, because of what Joe Biden has done to ourselves here. Well, that's a good point. And Russia's got also commodities that people want. Right. Energy and mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. Those are popular here. Yes. and they People are fans of having their homes heated and eating. There were other things that came up what too. Were you saying, Jason? Well, they were saying that there were other things, noble gases and rare minerals that are, you know, Russia and Ukraine are producing neon and xenon and certain things that are used in lasers for etching, semiconductors. So, I mean, we're starting to really see the cracks when you turn off this global machine and try this so-called great reset. Um, you know, Lee, when you're working in a place where there's a big established computer network and you've got your, you know, this station over here that's specialized in that and everything is working. If you just say, you know what, we're going to upend this whole place and start again, that is the worst way to proceed. It's a guaranteed jam up, isn't it? Yes. And I, I think this is very clearly now 
at this point, and it's come out in about five different ways, but this is Russia exposing the new world order. Yeah. And that sounds overdramatic and conspiratorial, except they've used the phrase. Yeah. And it's and right. Remember the member of parliament who was on Fox News, a woman, and she said, we're fighting for the new world order. Right. And then it turns out that she'd been at the World Economic Forum. Wow. This is a combination. And George Soros was at the World Economic Forum last week. And he said, this is a fight for civilization. If Russia wins, it's the end of civilization. Mm. And he's right in the sense the... Western conception of civilization, which is the new world order. Right. I think it's very clearly exposing who's on what side of that. Yeah. Do you agree? I do. I do. And that's, I mean, that's basically what I'm saying is that, the, you know, the United States just keeps digging in. I do agree with what you were asking me before, that it is clear that Russia has won as far as Ukraine is concerned. But the wild card is that the United States can keep injecting weapons in there if the United States were not involved, Ukraine would have been done a long time ago. Yes. And and I, by the way, I'll throw in, the reason I use the term the West is because I include England yeah. is majorly. By the way, Boris Johnson yeah. won his no-confidence vote. I can't believe that. Night. I know. But it's a pyrrhic victory in the sense that it's not a huge win. He had a lot of people over 100 vote no confidence. Hmm. And that is a bigger margin of loss than Theresa May right. met years ago before she was taken out. So this could be the beginning of the end for Boris Johnson. Mm -hmm. But many people point out there's no one better waiting in the wings. Right. Isn't that always the problem? There's better, <laughs> there's better haircuts. Right. But that's the only thing. Yeah. There's no one better waiting in the wings. 202-521-1320. A perfect segue. We're talking about New World Order. Let's bring on Owl Killer. Mm. Owl Killer, what is on your mind? We'll get to the New World Order. But you know Boris Johnson gets his hair cut like that on purpose. It's, it's like <laughs> for him. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I, I saw it in an article when uh, he first won um, the prime ministership over there. And, you know, he wrote in on that whole Brexit wave. And it's crazy that a country like, for all the issues that England has, they did give us the King James Bible and they did give us the Magna Carta. There's so, so many good ideas over there. there. There's people like Nigel Farage and Lord Moncton. And the, the people, the only people you're allowed to choose from, someone like Theresa May or Boris Johnson, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's the same thing in this country. Um, you know, you, t you talk about that Ukrainian, I uh, forget what her, uh, the lady that you were mentioning that said that um, they were, she was fighting for the new world order. Biden said the same thing um, in, yeah. in a, speech, a speech a few months ago, not even about a month ago. Um, he's talking about how he was speaking to his military generals, and they said that there is a change that happens every three to four generations. And... Mm -hmm. The last time we had this was World was uh, World War II, and and, yep. the, and about 65 million people total died. That's the number that he gave. 
and that we need to be the ones that lead the the what comes out of he said there was a liberal world liberal world order was established and now with this new turning we need to lead we need to be the ones that lead the new world order and Klaus Schwab is another one talking about the fourth industrial revolution they know the, the monetary system is done and they're engineering the new society that comes out of it they've been waiting for this and that that's what i think you know lee you brought it up the other day um it's not it's not a new world order it's it's the old world order camouflaged as the new world order but they've been waiting for this opportunity you know you have you have the um coronavirus you have the ukraine war you have this the you have what's going on economically with the inflation and you know I, I think people really should every time you hear man made global warming, the only way to get rid of that is to get rid of man. And th- that's that's the world they're designing where we're no longer needed. That this this new world order that they're they're designing this fourth industrial revolution, we we don't exist in it. I, I, it's what what are you gonna do with all the excess people? You go to war. Right. Well and Really, it's about keeping empire. Throughout history, countries, this is the days of big empires, you know, the Roman Empire, the British Empire, they, the way they created wealth was they went to other countries and Good. stole stuff. <laughs> oh, look, they've got a lot of gold. <laughs> we'll take it. Kill them, yeah. And... That's what they're trying to. Then, when that started to go away in the 19th century, and people realized you couldn't just go to a country and take this stuff. Well, now we're liberated. So that's what. Yeah, go ahead. I'll go. It's a new thing. We're liberating you. You know, yeah. if, uh, if 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 Libya's number one exporter, Iraq's number one export was broccoli, you think we'd be there? Well, I mean, again, that no, right. was to defend the petrodollar system. I, I mean, I think, Alec, I agree with you. I think that they realized that, like, hey, you know what? When in 1971 or two or whatever it was that Kissinger made the agreement with OPEC and Nixon to create the petrodollar, they knew that type of fiat system could only last so long. And, I mean, this is what I'm talking about with Putin going back to a commodity-based economy you know, that's actual wealth. We're doing work. We're making something and providing something that people want. And we're agreeing upon a unit that's measured by that, not a credit system, not a deficit spending system where, yeah, 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 don't worry. We got the money in the bank. Just take it. It's worth a dollar. And then selling the debt to Saudi Arabia and having all this crazy stuff going on, it can't sustain. So that's why we're having this <clears throat> new world order. It's like declaring bankruptcy and hitting the reset button. They're telling you that, the great reset. This is what they're talking about. But what happens to all of us? I mean, you you know, the disease, poverty, gas prices shooting up. I mean, I remember when they had Hurricane Sandy and there was no gas for like a week. People were shooting each other at the gas station in New Jersey. New Jersey at the same time, yep. So how far away from that are we? It's... It's one, it's, imagine if... Like a week. Yeah, it could be one imagine week. Imagine God, God forbid an EMP does, does get used, right? Because that, that's, the, that's the warfare we're talking about. It's not, it's not going to be, you know, Top Gun Maverick. It's not going to be a war like that. God forbid we do end up in World War Three, And you pay, pay attention to the Russian news. They're 
But aren't we in it now, Al Killer? This economic the inflation. We're in the early days of it, right? Currency war, currency wars, world uh, cur- currency wars, trade wars, world war. Yeah. We're, we're we're in that we're in that phase right now. It just it's nobody's just gonna say, okay, today's the day World War Three starts. It's it's a right. war that inevitably, un- inevitably, unless God intervenes, and uh, you know cooler heads prevail. I mean, you listen to the way that we're not even taking it serious over here in the West. It's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, right. We're uh, in, we're just gonna move what if if Russia was moving weapons into Canada or Mexico. We would have, and and we'd be justified in doing so in in a response to it. So, it, but see, this goes back. This goes back to Lee's initial point at the top of the show, of is Ukraine winning the information war? And the fact that you just said people here aren't taking it seriously, it's because the people of the United States, who arguably would have the power to stop the government from doing what's happening are so brainwashed by the false information that they're fed and that they eat up like McDonald's hamburgers and love it while they're eating it. That is causing everybody to believe that we're doing the right thing. We're being led down this primrose path by Joe Biden and the end of the line is destruction. I've never seen better propaganda in my life than what Ukraine has been able to pull off. But then again, they've had all of the Western media in, in, in Europe and in the United States. They've had all of Western media on their side. There's been very, in, like, even even somebody like a Tucker Carlson can't have on the guests that he wants to. You know, even he has to say, okay, Russia's bad, but this is what really this is what really caused it. Like he, you always have to preface it, but okay, Russia's bad, but this is what you know, this is what Ukraine did, or th- these are the real issues. I think it goes back further. I think it goes back further because you see everything that was done to Donald Trump with the you know, so-called Russiagate to prevent him from being able to get into trade negotiations with Putin and have normalized relations with Russia. All of that was part of this, right? I mean, this started with Obama. When he said he wants to fundamentally transform America, we're seeing that now. Everybody's going to be broke, have no job. You can't leave your house. You can't buy gasoline. That's a fundamental transformation. I can't go to Canada right now if I wanted to. No, Canada- That's a fundamental transformation. Candidate Trump called out what went on in, in – he said that Russia did not invade uh, Crimea. And then so, when, he, when he won the nomination, he had to switch it. I don't know what happened or who talked to him, but he had to switch mm-hmm. look on what happened in Crimea. I remember that distinctly. There are some strange and in, inexplicable things about Donald Trump and, and what he does. He's got Mike Lindell with him in town everywhere he goes now. Good point. I, I, I got to get to – Brave, but a great call, Al Keller. Thanks, Al. 202 Let's go to Atlanta and Brave. Brave, what's on your mind? What's going on, guys? I actually, man, I could hey, listen to you guys continue speaking uh, and just hung up. <laughs> because uh, between Al Killer and you guys uh, chiming in, you were hitting on everything that I was actually calling in to bring up. Um, the only thing I would um, add, if, if it's even an addition, um, uh, uh, continuing on the conversation you guys are already having. Um, when, when we talk about, uh, you know, what's going to happen to all of these people who can't afford this, who can't all these things, um, that goes back to what I was saying on, on a call a few weeks ago or, um, about Dr. Harari and the uh, useless people. Because uh, as yeah. I was saying, that, that's how that's how we're viewed. You, you are not a uh, an elitist. You are not. If you are not an elitist, you are not in the group. You are not rich. You are not wealthy. You are not 
a super well-known scientist or something of that nature, and you are definitely not um, a part of the establishment class, then you are useless to them because they don't need your labor, and they obviously in the global market don't need your um, don't need your money. You have no value. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense that um, uh, we're just being worked out of the equation. Uh, one thing I would also like to say um, and throw you guys and see uh, your take on it. And I wish I, get, I wish I can get our killer's take. Hopefully, he's still listening. He can uh, call back in on another day or this day and chime in because um, he's always on point with it when it comes to the Great Reset stuff. Um, we're saying, uh, you know, they, they, they make the points of um, the New World Order. Okay, so the, the term New World Order has been, you, you guys obviously know that, uh, it has been used going back, what, for, for a long time now, right? So uh, George Bush, 1992 at the U.N., said it's used it in a speech. So, right, so it's not so much to me that it's a, a New World Order as much as it is, you know, just a reconfigure. Uh, it's just specifically what they're what they're telling us it is. Like I don't think we got to really even put any brain power to it. It's the continued, it's the continued uh, power. It may be it may be reestablishing the order. So in that way, a new world order, but in the power in the hands of the same power. Right? And I think when it comes to like the global leaders, to a certain extent. Um, those powers that be like Schwab and the people that he represents, because I really don't believe that Schwab is the puppet master, right? But um, I think they let him skirmish it out, because obviously you, you have um, the West uh, feuding with, uh, with Russia, with um, Russia and the Global South and such, uh, to try and hold on to power. But let us not forget that Xi is... is uh, is, is has been at all of these Davos uh, meetups and and is considered a member, right? Um, uh, Klaus Schwab has high has a high uh, view of of Xi, so I don't know that China and Russia are outside looking in and, and standing against or, or the stick standing against the, the tornado. I, I don't think it's that. I think that you know you have the power struggle because the old the old school doesn't want to let go. But if you remember Nancy Pelosi and even Biden. During the um, during the Democrat primaries, they both referred to themselves as transitional figures. Nancy Pelosi, when she said she wasn't going to run for a speaker again, and then ran, she said, "I'm transitional. I'm I'm, I'm a, I will be a transitional." Uh, and some people, I think, she, she identifies as the speaker of the house. <laughs> right, right, right. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people took it as just you know political. Uh, jargon and just talking just to sell and they're just lying. But I, I firmly believe that, well, you can't help but believe because they're showing it to you. you. You see it every day, right? And what they're doing to our economy and sinking our economy, all things you guys already spoke about, spoke of. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But um, they, they are helping to transition our economy, uh, our economy into the world that the Davos uh, group constantly is talking about and working on. And I don't believe that they're taking um, they're taking um, they're, they're, they're taking the opportunity in hand. Again, I, and I, I'll go so far as to say that I believe that they are making these things happen. When you talk about a lab leak of, of, a, of a, a disease that was created, right, that's, that's created. That's not – if it came from bats, maybe then I could say they're just, you know, it's an opportunity. But it came from a lab. I think we can all pretty much agree on that at this point, right? When you talk about um, the way they handled COVID, that was purposeful, Right. And when you talk about what they're doing with uh, Ukraine, this isn't by accident. We can all agree on that. I think we've all said that multiple times. This is not by accident. This is not just something they fumbled on. It. Oh, hey, we can put our plans together. 
this is what they've spoken on and said they were going to do consistently. If you go back to, if you go back and read uh, Behold the Pale Horse, he talked about in there about global pandemics and and uh, world wars as a means of getting rid of people, right? And, and we got these we got these guys who are transhumanists like Gates, who, who don't believe that the world should have as many people as it has. I mean, how do you not believe that? How do you, how do you unless you just don't want to go that far? How do you not say this is all purposeful? I, I have no. Well, let, let me let me take you back to the first thing you were talking about, Brave, because you brought up this guy Yuval Noah Harari, and I think he's important to talk about because he's an Israeli historian, obviously a Jewish guy. And uh, there was an interview with, um, uh, oh, that former CBS reporter, uh, Laura Logan. And, and one of the interviewers said to her, oh, well, how could there be Nazis in Ukraine? Because Zelensky is Jewish. And so here we have this Yuval Noah Harari. He's hanging out with the World Economic Forum. He's Jewish. How could he be working with Nazis? The point is, it's like saying, hey, wait a minute, this guy's in the mafia. How could he be an FBI informant? Or this guy's in the FBI. How could he be a spy for some foreign country. There are traitors and infiltrators and all kinds of things within any organization. So whenever the full argument against how could there possibly be Nazis in Ukraine if the president is Jewish, I mean, that's the stupidest argument because the number one thing to do is just get someone who is ethnically or you know by heritage Jewish who doesn't care about Judaism, is a psychopath, is willing to do whatever for their own power and benefit, and that's your answer right there. Just because someone's Jewish doesn't automatically make them a saint. Well, also, it's trying to use logic right. and empirical arguments. How I don't have to answer, how could this be? It's clear. Yeah. Deny the, the torture parades every January 1st. Right. Why is that happening? Right. And Zelensky, he clearly... Signed an executive order that banned political parties. Right. And he banned all these, by the way, socialists, and it's true, all these left-wing political parties and kept the Nazi parties. You know what I forgot to tell you? John Mark no. Dugan has been put on a kill list in Ukraine with his photo and bio and everything and saying, kill him on sight in Ukraine. That he's guilty of violating the we law. We talked about that yesterday. Oh, okay, yeah, violating the law about Russian propaganda. Well, not, or whatever. not in regards to John Mark Dugan, who we had on the show last week, but in regards to Eva Bartlett. Right. No, he's on the list too. They're targeting journalists. Yes. Now let's quickly go to great call, Brave. Let's quickly go to Tarif Two, the second call from Tarif today, <laughs> and see what's on his mind this time. 202 521 1320. Therese, two. Highly, highly, and Jason. No, it's not. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's Therese. Hey, Therese. So, it's so, um, you, great conversation. And uh, what I uh, wanted to ask you guys is in discerning the truth, uh, um, what how what do you rely on most? Like inductive uh, reasoning or uh, deductive reasoning, and and then because that is the war that we are in, um, it's this information war and this disinformation war, and we need to learn how to think uh, critically, and uh, you know maybe have some lessons in that. Lee, I know that that was a, a, a real strong point on on your part, and then. Um, 
and I wanted to say that I have a product idea that could be a strong, visible rallying point for for people who are seeking the truth, and it would be humorous and a powerful image that could change the narrative. Um, and it can't, I don't think it could be easily villainized like the mega hat was. And it also has a worldwide application as opposed to just a, 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 an application for, you know, make, making America great. It would be uh, a, a, a appeal to people worldwide. So who, who could I talk to regarding, um, <laughs> regarding that, Lee? Well, just tell us. Well, I'd say, yeah, I would say do it. Yeah. You don't need to talk to anybody. Right. That's one good thing about water on water. Right. Jason, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, if you want to tell people on the air what it is, or I agree with Leash, do it, go make it if it's a product that you think people want. And I have made I have made it and I have a prototype and I've taken oh. product class and also I'm a student or I was a student in a citizen journalism school. So uh, uh. this is something that uh, would, uh, mm, uh, I, I think you you guys would really, really love it uh, and because it, it would be, um, a, a, like I said, a visible a visual rallying point, like like a mega hat was, a visual rallying right. point. Right. Well, sorry to interrupt, but just so I get the idea, is it something that you don't want to share on the air because you're keeping it secret because you want to productize it, or do you want to announce it here and let us know what it is? No, I'm in the process. I mean, I'm I'm going patent pending with it. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So I think you just keep going the route you're going. You know, it sounds like you're excited about it and you know what to do. You got a patent coming and everything, and when you're ready come back on the show and you can launch it here, start a website and just, you know, make it your product. Well, I am, I am the start, but, but, but I really don't know. I mean, I am such a novice when it comes yeah. to, um, all, all this, uh, it, it's, it's <laughs> uh, got a lot further than most people. The fact that you have a prototype rather than just an idea is, um, you, you've gone much further than I would say 99% of people who ever say they have an idea about a product. Right. So, um, I guess. And, go ahead, Lee. No, I just say we have to we have to move along because our next guest is on the line. But thanks for the call, Therese. Great call. Take care. And great call from Brave and Al Keller. And I'm sorry I got your name wrong. I misheard. But let's take a short break. Tom Nichols is on the line, Jason. Great. So let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Tom about his last article and some other things on the backstory. And we're back on the backstory on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in the Washington, D.C. area. Joining us now, great friend of the show, author, writer, Tom Nichols. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hey, Lee, how are you? Hey, Tom. I'm fine, thank you. Good, and you're on with Jason Goodman, hey, Tom. our guest host today. Oh, hi, Jason. How are you? Fine. Great. Yeah. So, so, Tom, you have a new piece, and I want you to explain your new piece, and then... 
I'm going to riff on a little bit about homelessness. Yeah. Because we've talked about homelessness a little bit today. But what's your, because Jamal's in Los Angeles, so homelessness comes up. He's downtown, home of the homeless. But what's your new piece talking about? Well, it's um, basically, it's a, it's a piece about, um, it's not so new anymore, but it's a but it's a kind of a myth that came around in 2009 that has really hit the airwaves at this point. They call it uh, P2P, and it's a, it's an outgrowth of <clears throat> something that they called um, efferine meth. And um, but this is far more toxic. It contains a lot of chemicals and contaminants, like household cleaning products. And um, and experts describe it as having the effect of a cerebral uh, catastrophe uh, in the user's brain. And it and it helps to cause psychosis and uh, schizophrenia and bipolar disorders and. It makes the it tends to make the user very very hostile, and where uh, people over time don't know how to smile or or even talk, they become mute. Um, and so this is becoming extremely popular along with uh, fentanyl and horse tranquilizer, and but it's changing the. Um, you know, before, as I think we said on the show, I mean, homeless people, when it was just plain Jane heroin, you know, they could have a kind of a hippy-dippy niceness about them, and they would go behind a bush and do their heroin, but they wouldn't necessarily act out in public. But this new thing is causing all kinds of major antisocial um, behaviors, and, um, you know, you can be on an L or you can be somewhere minding your own business. But if you come under their lens as um, somebody to fear or because they have a hallucination about you for whatever reason, you could be in trouble Hmm. or you become a target of their venom. So, um, so there seems to be a lot more of this. And when you combine that with shoplifting, which of course is, pretty much, you know, linked up with this form of homelessness. Um, you know, in the article, I I also take on the concept that um, homelessness is not necessarily drug-related. And I think studies that kind of pointed to this were were kind of semi-accurate about 10 years ago. But there are so many programs now for those who are really homeless outside of the drug world and they can they can pretty much they can get fixed and they can they can work to resume a normal life but but for the continual hordes that keep flocking into Philadelphia and especially into Kensington um these are always always new people they're you know traveling caravans and so these people um, there are no hud grants uh directed uh to them so so when the city kind of pats itself on the back and says that they received a 37 million dollar grant to create new homeless units you know sometimes i think that people don't understand that that these are for homeless who have already kind of rehabbed their lives and they're already on the so-called straight and narrow 
not the constant stream of like newbies who sleep on the streets, build tents on the streets, cardboard beds on the streets, etc. And so the two are always overlapping and you get one fixed and then there's this big tidal wave of new people coming in and basically more people than not choose not to go to a rehab, not to go to a shelter because they like the freedom of the streets. Um, they want to be able to go into Kensington to get their fix whenever they want to. So, so you know, this is, this is a problem. Tom, where can people see that article? Oh, yes. That was published by Broad and Liberty. Um, just put in Google Broad and Liberty Homelessness or my name, Tom Nicholson. It'll come right up. Now, Tom, the, so what I want to talk about was practically what can be done about this? Because a lot of people, what do you do with someone who wants to do drugs and live outside? They're not forced there. They, they, that's the option they're choosing. What can you do about that? Well, I don't. I mean, I've been back and forth in my mind about this. So there are times when I think there should be a clean sweep. You know, there should be this this cosmic paddy wagon that uh, comes around and just sweeps everybody up like like street debris. But then uh, the kind of the free form, free spirited part of myself says, no. Um, um, the city is big enough. If you find a tree in an isolated part of Penn Treaty Park or something and want to sleep outdoors or find a spot by a dumpster or next to the railroad tracks, uh, who is that hurting? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really back and forth, uh, but as the numbers keep growing, it becomes more and more of a problem. And it begs for a solution, but I am torn when it comes to solutions um, because I can tell you that I, I see the same people at my local Wawa for like three or four years. They get clean. They go downhill so fast. They wind up passing out on the concrete and fall asleep in the parking lot, and they barely look alive. And and they panhandle, then they go into rehab again, and they're back again, but they never become permanently fixed. This is just a continual cycle, and I've, I've seen the same people go through it for years. Um, I'm amazed that some of them are still alive. Mm. Um, some of them Who's are making this P2P? I mean, it sounds so terrible. Why would anybody want to get involved with it? Yes, I, I had heard that it's mainly a concoction of drug dealers who uh, want to sell it really, really cheap. And uh, I f think this P2P goes for anywhere from like 3 to $5 a dose. So it's extremely cheap. Wow. And, and it, it, you know, when you see somebody who, um, when you inject it, you have, you have to be certain that you're hitting a vein. And Ugh. if... Yes. If you even miss by a micro thread, um, you get an abscess and you're late. Oh. And so these people not only have fat hands, you know, you can always tell someone who's addicted by their fat fingers. And um, and of course, where they shoot up would be in their legs, which can be wow. 
and infected very, very thick and very, very big. And, um, I, I mean, some of it looks pretty awful, especially in the summer where, you know, short sleeves are common and uh, these things are really out there in the public. Um, so it's just, um, it's, it's um, kind of sad. I mean, I, I did write about this guy from uh, Delaware who wanted to use my phone, and uh, I said yes, and he had texted his mother and said that he was on his way home, that he was being good. Well, of course, he never made it home. He disappeared into Kensington, and... You know, I had to give his mother updates. Um, we st- we stopped talking because I think it's just too painful for her. She kind of knows that he's kind of lost for a while. So, but these kinds of stories are very very common. And how long how long has this P two P been around? Because now that you mention the swelling of the legs, I've seen homeless people in New York and wondered what the hell is the medical problem that causes that? It's got to be what you're talking about. Yeah, that's yeah the P two P. I read that I came on the scene at about 2009. Uh-huh. This long really to hit the common denominator, as it were, but it. The thing is, when they when they shoot it up, um, if you if you run out of vein space, I mean, um, or if you hit it wrong, I mean, some of them spend almost an hour trying to um, oh, eject because because the skin has has been so abused. Wow. Um, because they're not getting it right because they're anxious or there's not enough light, and mm. it goes in wrong. Then not only is the whole P2P wasted, but they now are at risk for a very, very ugly abscess. And, you know, you have to go to the ER and get that taken care of sometimes. Um, so it it's just... Um, what can be done? Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, at some point, if it becomes like a... Like a Mad Max moment, and if too many people are in this condition, I don't see how society cannot take forceful measures because um, you can't have whole colonies of these people kind of in the society at every level affecting normal life, can we? Or can we? I guess you can get used to anything in life. Let me ask you this, because, you know, with some of these other drugs that you were talking about, heroin and stuff like that, sometimes we might learn that there are people who we know who are involved with things like that that you would never guess. Is there any way that someone could be a functional P2P addict or no? You're just in the street insane with this. Oh, you could you could easily do this with heroin. You could you could hide that and camouflage it easily. But this. Um, it also breeds a, a kind of a mental hostility and untoward, out of the blue, out of proportion reactions to to silly or imaginary things or or issues. And so you get somebody mm-hmm. screaming over nothing. And uh, so there's there's a there's a control issue here, which is um, can be scary. Because um, it, 
there are no boundaries in the mind, it seems. The stuff, and plus it it does affect, I think, um, conversation. You can see it in their eyes. I mean, I've learned to um, detect it, and sometimes in the walk, you know, they'll have a hunched over look. Um, young men in their 20s who kind of walk like 98-year-old men, problems or with bent spines. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So, um, so it, uh, affects you mentally and physically. And, uh, but this new stuff is very, very quick. The old meth, they say, took a lot of time before it had these, um, disastrous effects, but this new meth goes right to the source and destroys ASAP. Wow. It's, uh, yeah. It, and of course, you do make it sound very glamorous <laughs> with leg abscesses, uh-huh. hunched walk, and acting crazy. It does sound very glamorous, but the fact is, there's some people who want to do that, right? And they keep choosing that, and they want to do it. And I think you pointed out the problem. Yeah, they- Law enforcement has unlimited tool set, and the tool set involves locking people in a cage. No. So... If if the ultimate solution is locking people in a cage, it's making them, it's going from one form of dependency to another one, but at least it's a relatively safe dependency. In other words, we won't let you live out by a dumpster. We'll have you live in this cage, and we'll tell you when to take a shower. Yeah. And we'll tell you when to eat, and we'll tell you what to eat. But I think a lot of their loved ones would prefer that, right? Yeah. The mother you were talking to, she probably would have preferred if her son were in prison. I don't know. She's killed but either I, way. I don't. This is the irony. This is the irony. It's it's only people who have had no experience with this population who are the most liberal and generous in terms of oh well, just like leave them alone. And they know they know uh, they know nothing about it. Um, but you're right. I think that the mother would probably wish that he were arrested on some petty charge and spent five months in jail, and so he could get clean naturally that way, and then maybe maybe come to his senses when he was clear-headed. Um, is that a realistic recovery plan? I mean, don't people go into withdrawal and all kinds of physical and psycho? See what you're what you're saying. The thing that is hitting me the most is that you know during the time I was living in Los Angeles, I was surprised by the number of people who were friends of mine who had told me that they had tried or for some period of their life had done meth. I was shocked by that because they were you know they seemed normal and I thought everybody does meth becomes a crazy you know drug addict like on uh, Breaking Bad. But what I'm concerned about is, you know, obviously if that was happening when I was living in LA and people are in their 30s and younger, there's going to be kids in high school now who are like, oh, well, yeah, I guess everybody at the party is doing meth. I'll do it. They're not going to know if it's P2P and they do this once. And is it is it a death sentence this first time somebody tries this thing? Uh, practically. Uh, uh, wow. I- that's what that's what that's what I hear, and of course this is a monkey see monkey do society wow. with uh, shootings that have been happening. Right, you know, people are just into this cosmic copycat mode now, and where it's <sighs> okay, so they they'll 
they'll take Matt thinking that they'll be the exception. They'll be mm. the one who will be able to just walk away from it. And, of course, it, I, I, I suppose it can catch you unaware. Um, I've never tried it, nor will I ever. But um, because what I've seen is a is a traveling horror road show. And, um, but I don't understand the willful destruction of the human brain. I think that's what scares me the most. Um, possibility of turning yourself into a vegetable, um, on a permanent basis, especially with stuff. Scary stuff. Now I want to talk about a general political analysis. And Tom, uh, one thing that's occurred to me is that it used to be, Political issues, when people discuss them, they were like foreign and domestic issues. Yeah. Or they break them down and they talk about some domestic issues and talk about them as uh, issues that affect the people talking about. For instance, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. I, I shouldn't have done that drug earlier that's me hunchbacked and <laughs> abscessed leg, forgive me. But, uh, okay, we'll forgive you. No, mm-hmm. no. That, that uh, some domestic issues they would categorize as uh, like drugs or, or something like that, victimless crimes. Right, but yes. Now I, th- I think there's another issue that's increasingly important and it's a relatively new phenomenon. It's family issues. And I'm seeing a lot of parents get involved in school board meetings. And I'm also seeing a lot of things. Like, did you see the thing in Dallas over the weekend, the drag queen event for children? Story hour? That's, that's, that's been building for a long, long, long time. And it finally hit the mainstream, as it were. And so now... You're getting pushback. Um, I mean, I've never understood drag queens for children. I mean, yeah. I understand it in terms of like going to a club on a Saturday night, and if you want to see a good show, but I don't understand how that made the jump from a nightclub into an elementary school. I just don't get that, and um, and I think that that parents have a right to object. I mean. Of course, and they should have a say in that. Uh, there's no question. And uh, and I hate it when when those parental objections are classified as homophobia or the order of a hate crime. I think that's that's just the theater of the absurd to me. You know, back to and just, and what do you? Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Well, no, just because you were touching on this, Lee, there's been so many random crimes in New York City where somebody just, like, walks up and shoots somebody or stabs somebody. And now I'm thinking, I mean, how much of it is caused by, I mean, you were you were tiptoeing around this, Tom, but at a certain point, if this drug turns you into a, a violent zombie and there's increasing number of people on them, it seems like jail is not, you just got to eliminate that. Well, I, I was I was about to add that you're absolutely right, um, and that's the difference with this with this drug. It's the it's the um, the um, how the changes that um, happen are so radical that um, you can't you cannot risk. I mean, having a lot of these people mix and mingle in polite society, as it were, because 
the results are too um, erratic. I mean, most people that I've seen on this stuff tend to kind of crash in, um, you know, and like go to sleep. But um, you certainly can't talk to them because they can't talk or they're just hostile. But you never know when that monster is going to lash out. So, so you're dealing with a time bomb also. And um, so you're right. I mean, at some point, um, something a lot more forceful will probably have to be done. And wow. that gets into, because uh, Jamal's in California now, but the big thing in California decades ago, like in the 80s, was they shut down a lot of the mental institutions. Do you remember hearing about that, Tom? Yes, I mean, that's another, they shut that's another crazy thing. They yeah. don't do that in Europe, of course. They still have mental institutions there. But it's only here where they've gotten rid of them. And so, um, you know, and then they complain about about guns here. Well, if you don't have mental institutions, obviously the wrong people are getting the wrong kind of guns into their hands. And so the blame is put on the gun as an inanimate object rather than the crazy person using the gun. Um in a case of like semi-automatic weapons, it's all about illegal handguns passed from thug to thug, usually involved in drug deals, uh, drug gangs, etc. And the killings here now, usually involve revenge killings or there's hmm. some drug connection, there's some gripe that has to be justified, quote-unquote. Um, but you don't get those those like creepy loner schizoid things that you get in other states here, you know, a crazy adolescent going into a school. Um, here it's um, so far it's been much much different. You're in well, Philly. Also, there was some publicized a mass shooting in Philadelphia, yeah. and all the stories I saw were shocked that this happened on South Street. So tell people who are interested in tourism in Philadelphia, was South Street? Well, I got to tell you, I mean, South Street used to be this quaint, hippie little street with like new age bookshops that sold crystals. And there were French-themed restaurants and leather and craft shops, cafes. There was the Theater of the Living Arts where you could see Andy Warhol films. And, I mean, nobody with a rough and tumble edge went to South Street. It was beyond their intellectual comprehension. <laughs> then over the years, that all changed. Now the news media refers to South Street as an entertainment zone. Well, that to me is like a buzzword for like, for like mayhem and like anything goes. Now, no self-respecting Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphian wants to hang out on South Street. I mean, it, it's been kind of a no-go zone for years. Uh, the police have been constantly pushing back crowds there um, for a long, long time, and there's always been— Is, is it bars and clubs, Tom? Is that what you're talking about? Bars and clubs, plus a lot of activity on the street. People just hang out on the street. It's just, you know, eating an ice cream cone and then having a flask or doing drugs on the street and just like walking around, 
and um, having a party on the street. Um, it was never like that. So, um, you know, uh, so nobody who who really knows this town ever goes near South Street except during the day, you know. Uh, but at night, and especially on the weekends, uh, and if you're a tourist, I think tourists are told to avoid it just as they're told to avoid certain neighborhoods. And so mm. you won't see a tourist going into uh, Tioga Nice Town, for instance, or into southwest Philadelphia. They stick to old city, Society Hill, Rittenhouse Square, uh, maybe Chestnut Hill, Mount Airy, but um, not much beyond that. <clears throat> and now South Street, I mean, it seems to me after this, will we'll probably fall into the no-zone area. It'll become like a bad neighborhood. Um, so I don't know. I mean, um, but this has been percolating for a long time. Um, I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner than this, frankly. And you, so you weren't surprised. You weren't surprised well, that something broke out on South Street. I can tell you. And three people killed, and more wounded. Do you know anything about what happened there? Well, um, uh, the. Uh, the news keeps changing, and the updates keep changing. Um, uh, the latest is two men got into a fight. There was some gripe. There was some issue between them. They passed each other on the street. They exchanged words. One took out a gun, and then it went from there. Um, initially— and, and Tom Nichols, we're out of time, but fantastic conversation, as usual, with great friend of the show— writer Tom Nichols. And where can you find that article again, briefly? Broad and Liberty. Broad and Liberty. There we go. And thanks so much to Jamal Thomas out in L.A. And Jason Goodman, fantastic job co-hosting as usual. We'll be back tomorrow with the best damn talk show in the world, The Backstory.